0: Welcome to True Black TV's weekly podcast, where we feature the world's most extreme athletes. This week, we're featuring Emily Harrington, who is not only a five fourteen sport climber, but an accomplished ice climber and alpinist. Successfully reaching the summit of Everest with Conrad Anker in 2012, and just last year, Emily free climbed Golden Gate, a forty one pitch five thirteen b on El Cap, in just six days. Emily. Welcome to our show.
1: Hey, how are you doing?
2: Fantastic. Hey, thanks for agreeing to do this interview.
1: Yeah, I'm psyched to do it.
2: You live in Squaw Valley now, right?
1: I do, yep. How
2: are you digging that?
1: I absolutely love it here. Um, I lived in Boulder, Colorado for 25 years, and that's where I grew up. And I just moved to Squaw about four years ago, and it's awesome. I just love living in the mountains, and we actually live, like, right at the base of the resort, so we can walk to skiing and everything like that. And then in the summer, the climbing is awesome, and we're only four hours from Yosemite. So
2: so uh, are you a skier or a snowboarder?
1: I'm a skier. Um, a skier. I started skiing when I was two years old, and I raced and did all that, and then I actually quit skiing around age 13 to climb. Mm-hmm. And then uh, since moving to Tahoe, I've picked it back up again. And so now it's sort of, I'm pretty much half and half between skiing and climbing.
2: That's awesome. Well, I got to tell you, watching the video of you climbing Golden Gate was pretty damn impressive.
1: Thank you so much. I appreciate that. Yeah, it was like, honestly, it was one my proudest achievements in climbing I think just like the overall experience was rad
2: yeah which pitch do you feel was the hardest the heinous 511 off with aka the monster or the 13b crux pitch known as the move um
1: I think they're just so different you know like the monster I didn't fall on it at all but the effort that I had to put forth was so intense Um, you know, so it's a little bit unclear on the, on the move. I was actually falling a lot and then lowering down and resting and stuff. So I think the experience was far less intense, but, um, on the monster, it just, it was just such a suffer fest. So I don't know. They were both really difficult for their own reasons.
2: Mm Hmm. That's funny because I just did an interview with Tom Randall, who, as you may know, climbed Century Crack. Um, He pretty much said the same thing, that it it is a suffer fest.
1: Yeah, I mean, wide climbing is just like, it's just like this really counterintuitive, grovelly style of upward movement. Like, I don't even know if it's considered climbing.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Was there a particular method, uh, technique that you used that you thought worked best for you?
1: Um. I mean, people kept telling me strategies and, you know, like how you're supposed to do it. And I could just never figure out a way that seemed to work really well. I kept hearing, you know, like you're supposed to toe hook with your foot in the back and then you're supposed to arm bar and just like wedge your way up and then you're supposed to heel toe the outside with your other foot. And I just, I don't know, nothing, nothing really worked for me. So I don't. I can't even remember what my technique was, honestly. I know I use my left elbow a lot, though, because I totally wore a hole in it. Um, so I think that was part of one of the main parts of my strategy was just sort of scraping my left elbow upward.
2: hmm Yeah, on, on, on the move pitch, not only were you shut down, but you got had a complete meltdown. Um, what kind of negative <laughs> thought, What kind of negative thoughts are going through you at that moment?
1: I mean, I think just because it was, it just was boiled down to one move on this massive 3,200-foot wall, I was just so upset and angry with myself um, that I was literally falling on one move and I felt so capable on everything else. And, you know, I, I guess what was going through my head was just, like, it can't possibly come down to this one move. You know, like, my failure on this route cannot cannot come down to, like, one single movement on – this piece of rock. Um, So it was more just like I was just trying so hard and trying to figure out every possible way to do it. And I was so determined. And in a lot of ways, I I feel like my process is to go through those negative emotions. It's almost like I have to go through it in order to come out the other side of it Mm -hmm. and, you know, realize all of those things about climbing that we all love and that's that it's only rock climbing, and it's, it's meant to be fun, and it's meant to be this great experience. But for me, in order to to come to those conclusions, I sort of have to go through that struggle and that mm. challenge, and that definitely was a part of it on that pitch.
2: So that's definitely part of the process for you to, to break that barrier?
1: Yeah. It seems like I really never learn Um to, you know, throughout all my decades of climbing, it's it's always been a part of my process is to go through that sort of negative emotional uh, experience of I can't do this, I won't do this, this will never happen. And in a way, I just let go of all the expectations. And that's what sort of frees me up to be able to succeed in the end. Mm-hmm.
2: So are you beating yourself up inside as well? I mean, you're like mentally, are you like getting really hard on yourself or just thinking that uh, yeah, totally. you're unworthy or Yeah,
1: whatever. I'm just like, yeah, totally. I'm just like, you can't do this. You won't do this. You'll never do this. You're like, you'll never be able to do anything like this. Um, it's all of those negative thoughts that go through my head. And, you know, I think it's more of a way for me to just break down my ego and mm-hmm. just, like, let it all go and be like, you know, it is just rock climbing. And who cares if you don't do it? Like, it's not that big of a deal. Mm-hmm. Um and yeah, so how did you me, counter those thoughts? necessary things? I mean, I just counter them by knowing deep down that I'm going to keep trying until I do it. And mm-hmm. so I think that I know that I can actually do it, but I tell myself I can't in order to release whatever those expectations are, whatever the, whatever those emotions are that are holding me back. Um, it, it's like this mind game that I play on myself and it tends It's a pattern, and I've noticed it with myself. Like, I get super Mm -hmm. negative. I get super bummed out. But deep down, I know that I can do it.
2: Yeah, I read in a Cosmopolitan article that you said, learning how to accept failure has become your most important asset. What did you mean by that?
1: You know, I think it just means that if you're going to put yourself out there and step outside your comfort zone and try new things and try things you've never done before, things that are going to be extremely difficult for you, you're going to fail. And no matter how much you package it up neatly and try to make it seem like a success and like you learned all these things and, you know, all, all of this other stuff, like the bottom line is that you failed or I failed. And I've Mm -hmm. come to the conclusion that that's totally okay. You know, like it's okay to not do well at things. It's okay to not be good at things. It's okay to not win or send the route or succeed or do what you wanted to do because that's life and it's going to happen over and over and over again. And until I learn to accept that, you know, I'm never going to be able to push myself in the way that I want to. And Mm -hmm. so I I think, and especially in the mountains, um, where there's a lot of circumstances that are out of my control and, and failure is much more likely for, for reasons that I have absolutely no control over. That's something that I just have to, be able to be comfortable with because otherwise Mm -hmm. I'll never want to try.
2: Well, now that you've climbed Golden Gate, do you have any ambitions to like free climb the nose in a day?
1: Yeah, totally. I think, you know, I think my plan for this spring is maybe to try and climb another free route on El Cap or maybe this fall. I'm not sure. But for me, that experience of free climbing on El Cap was, Mm -hmm. um, it was, I just couldn't really compare it to anything, you know, like emotionally and physically, it was this perfect challenge. And it's something that I've never really experienced before in sport climbing or competitions, nor in the big mountains. It's this really amazing combination of physical and emotional and mental struggle that I, Mm -hmm. they loved and I thrived off of it. And I want to do more of it. And so I, I think freeing El Cap in a day would be sort of the next, step I don't know if it would be on a route like the nose um I definitely want to gain more yeah I would say free rider for sure Mm -hmm. would be the sort of the next logical way to do it um but also I'd love to try some other things that are a little more obscure like I'd love to try Zodiac I'd love to try El Nino um I'd -hmm. love to try El Corazon is one that I'd want to try because on those routes for one you don't have to climb a monster um And, uh, I need, (laughs) I need like a few years to get away from that trauma and forget about it. (laughs) Um, so yeah, I mean, and then also there's just like so much more of Yosemite to experience aside from LCAP. There's plenty of routes that I want to do in a day that are 10 pitches long. Um, Mm -hmm. and, and even just not, not even in Yosemite, like I have an undone project in Morocco that I want to go complete and, There's big walls in Canada. It's just there's that style of climbing is still I haven't explored much of it. And I have a long time still.
2: You train quite a bit, don't you?
1: I do when I have an objective. Um, I've let off a little bit. I spent my youth like really training indoors for competitions and stuff. And now I guess I guess I train a lot in that I train to be a good athlete all the time. Um, mm-hmm. right now I've just been skiing a lot and that includes like, I do try to boulder in the gym a couple times a week, but my main focus right now is trying to become a better skier. And so I'm mostly skiing and, you know, I'm skate skiing and I still try to do upper body workouts just because I don't want to lose everything. Um, mm-hmm. but right now I, I just try to diversify everything and be an all around really fit, good athlete. And for me, I think the biggest definition of that is being able to go out and have a big day in the mountains, no matter what it is, whether you're climbing or skiing or running or whatever it is going out and being able to do something all day long and still function at the end of the day. Um, so that's, that's been what I've been focusing on recently. Um, you know, I've, I've, you know, I'm not strong in bouldering right now, even though I'm trying really hard. Um, you know, I'm I'm probably not, sending hard sport routes right now but that's not my main focus and it it will be eventually um as the spring approaches um but I just try to diversify just you know as I've grown older I feel like it keeps me motivated and it also Mm -hmm. helps my body like recover from from certain intense situations you know like I'm at an age now where things do start to hurt, you know, like I do feel things in my shoulders and fingers and stuff. And so if I take a break and can go skiing for a few months, I can let those things sort of heal and, Mm -hmm. um, you know, and then vice versa after skiing for months at a time, it's really nice to go into climbing season. Um, I think it's a nice balance for me.
2: How long does it take you to make that transition to feel like you're at your peak again?
1: Um, Honestly, it depends on if I went to altitude or not. So, Going to altitude really, really debilitates me. I spent six weeks in the fall at, at 19, living at 19,000 feet or above, and I was completely destroyed. And I don't feel like I ever really reached my peak. I tried to go on a sport climbing trip afterwards, and trained for a month. And I think maybe after about two months, I was at a decent, a really, really structured training. I was in it. I was in decent shape, and I was. I was at a level that I felt really psyched and motivated and I was enjoying sport climbing again. Um, But I would say it takes a solid one to two months to get back to some sort of level of performance in climbing that I, that I feel good about right now. I'm, I've been bouldering and I've been doing like fingerboard and all that stuff. So I'm hoping to retain some stuff for the season in the spring. Um, But I, and I'll probably start training here in a few weeks, like really, a little bit more focused.
2: So, when you get back on the, the hangboard, what uh, methods are you practicing?
1: Um, I just do, right now, I, I'm just doing really basic hangboard workouts. I do um, like the, the seven seconds on, three seconds off with the half, cr- different body, different uh, finger positions, like open crimp and half crimp on different holds and I'll do that for like two minutes or no, I'll do it for more like 90 seconds. Then I'll rest two minutes and I'll do it again and I'll do just different reps. Um, And then I'll do like pull-ups on small holds and I'll do pull-ups just on like big holds just for, uh, you know, main muscle strength. And I just try to mix it up. I also just ask all my friends, like I ask a lot of other professional climbers who do hangboard workouts what they're doing and I'll just sort of mimic what they're doing just to keep it different. Um, I get mm-hmm. super bored if I just do the same thing all the time.
2: Mm-hmm. And so do your muscles, too. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, you mentioned Conrad Ackler. He was responsible for bringing you to Everest in 2012. Do you see alpinism in your future?
1: Yeah, I definitely do. You know, Conrad has been a huge influence on me, as have other Alpinists and ski mountaineers on the North Face team, and since Everest, I've done quite a few trips to the big mountains, uh, and I I really want to explore that realm of climbing more. I'm still struggling with my level of comfort with the risk factor. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it seems like in order to push the limits in that world, you need to take more risk or do more dangerous things. And I don't necessarily believe that. Um, and so for re- for me right now, I'm just trying to figure out where that line is and where that balance is. Um, and I am continuing to pursue it. I'm continuing to try to gain experience and looking to people who are more experienced in that world than I am in order to um, gain that knowledge and learn. And yeah, who knows, you know, for me, I'm just taking it one trip at a time trying to decide if it fits for me And yeah, just, you know, see, see if, if it's where I want to be in the next, the next few years. The good thing about that style of climbing is that I'm just, I'm still young in that world. You know, I'm just coming Mm -hmm. into it now. I haven't, I have gaining experience. I'm gaining that knowledge and, you know, I could theoretically like pursue that for the next decade or so. And I'm just trying to decide if that's something that, that I want right now.
2: Yeah, speaking of risk, uh, you know, especially like on places like Everest where people are dying, did that play in your head when you were there?
1: Um, you know, not really on Everest because on Everest, the, uh, I mean, I guess the only real objective hazard comes from the Khumbu Icefall, and that was truly scary, and um, to this day I still would never probably climb through there again. Um, and my boyfriend, who's climbed Everest six times now on, from the south side, has told me that he will never climb through the ice wall again either. So that's good to hear. Um, Why is that? Other than that, uh, just because there's so much objective hazard and it's becoming more and more dangerous as the years go on. And it's just this totally uncontrollable risk that's
2: mm-hmm.
1: super dangerous. And it can kill a lot of people. And it's just like, it's a little bit like rolling the dice. I mean, we saw it happen in 2014,
0: um, Mm -hmm. with
1: the avalanche that killed all those Sherpa. And, you know, there's, there's just no, there's no decision you can make that can, that can make that risk go away. It's just the decision to, to climb through it or not. And, and for me, that risk at this point in my life is too high. That's Mm -hmm. not to say I don't, that's not to say I regret doing it because I don't necessarily, but now that I've seen it and experienced it and I know a lot more, um, I wouldn't do it again.
2: Hmm, But aside
1: from that, um, you know, the other, the other types of deaths that you hear about on Everest, a lot of that is very much related to inexperience and, Hmm. you know, it's people not willing to turn around when they're supposed to turn around and then they run out of oxygen and they sit down and die. Um, Mm -hmm. stuff like that that I think is very much a human factor. You know, it's like, it's like with avalanches when you have like a human factor, um, the poor decision-making. And I feel like I am a very conservative climber and I feel like I'm, I really do try to analyze things and make the most conservative decision. And I am willing to accept a certain level of risk, um, and I, you know, obviously, it's obviously something I think about all the time, and I try to balance mm-hmm. it. Um, but well, on Everett, a... really the only. What's that?
2: I was going to say, climbing with Conrad Ankler uh, definitely had to add a little bit of uh, security to you in terms of making good judgments.
1: Totally. And I trusted him 120%. Um, and so, yeah, that's another thing like choosing the right team, being with people mm-hmm. you trust, being with people you feel comfortable talking to and communicating your concerns with and that's for me one of the biggest things is that I do go on trip I really think about who I'm going to go on a trip with and who I'm going to go skiing with you know from from day to day you know like things happen even like at home uh you know I I go out and play in the mountains all the time and every day it's something I need to be aware of you know it's not just when you're doing the most gnarly stuff that that accidents happen
2: I read that Everest changed you in many ways Tell us about that. How did it change you?
1: You know, I, I think it just opened my eyes to this world of climbing in the mountains and experiencing the mountains that I wasn't aware of before when I was mainly just a sport climber and a competition climber. And it just, you know, I just developed this interest in it that I, in being in the big mountains that I never had before. And, in becoming more of an athlete who could go into any terrain and handle myself and and be a good partner, you know, before I'd never really I'd never really ice climbed that much. I didn't really I didn't climb big walls. I didn't do any of these things. And after Everest, I was like, "Wow, there's this whole other world of climbing that I can keep doing for the rest of my life. And mm-hmm. maybe I should start exploring that more. Um And Everest definitely helped me get to that point.
2: What women climbers have inspired you the most?
1: Um, I think probably Lynn Hill, just because she was very ahead of her time for anyone, just male, female, anyone. Um, she's rad. And then Beth Rodden, who's done so much rad stuff. And, you know, like she's climbed she's climbed Meltdown, first ascent, and still hasn't been repeated, which is really amazing to me and I think super rare. Um Hillary O'Neill, she's a ski mountaineer, but she's been one of my main climbing partners in the big mountains since uh, Everest, and I've been on a lot of trips with her. And I see her as very much a mentor to me um, in the mountains. Um, yeah, I think those three, Lynn, Beth, and Hillary? All
2: right. Um, um. Why do you think more women aren't bolting new routes?
1: Um, that's a really good question, and. You know, I think it just has to do with a lot, you know, there, proportionally, there are probably a lot more male climbers than there are female climbers. Proportionally, there are probably a lot more really strong male climbers than female climbers. And I do think the level is different. You know, I think there are a few women out there who are really pushing the grades, climbing 9A and stuff like that, but there's not that many. And, mm-hmm. you know, there are far more guys out there who, I guess, have that sense of, exploration and sort of like wanting to um, put a stamp on something, wanting something, wanting to make something their own. um, And that are willing to go out and put the effort in, you know, and that, you know, that's nothing I'm not taking away. I'm not trying to take away from women. um, But I'm just saying, I think I'm just saying that I think there are more men out there and in general, I think men tend to be a little bit more uh, willing to to do something like that, to pick up a drill and to just go figure it out, you know, and then once mm-hmm. they figure it out once, they can do it a bunch of times. And I think that women are a little more timid in whether that's just the way we are as a species or whether we've been sort of programmed to be that way. I think mm-hmm. that there's a little bit more of some timidness with women when it comes to, like, picking up a drill and picking a line and going out and drilling mm-hmm. something or bolting something. Um you know, and then you have to be taught that type of stuff. And, that, you know, maybe women don't have as much, as many mentors who, who are willing to teach them how to do stuff like that. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I've drilled, I've bolted a couple routes, but certainly not that many. I have other things that I really want to do. Obviously, it's something I'd love to start getting more into, but um, that's a, you know, I have to really choose to focus on that. Mm-hmm. Right now, it's not my focus.
2: Do you think women are capable of pushing the limits as much as men?
1: I think women are, I think, yeah, I think women are capable of pushing the limits. I mean, obviously, Lynn Hill showed that. Mm-hmm. And I think, but I I also think that there are more men who are capable of pushing the limits, just naturally. There are more male climbers. Genetically, men are physically, they're stronger than us. And that's just the way it is. I mean, there's nothing we can do about that. That's biology for you. And I, I really don't have a problem with that. I think... I think women can still be amazing climbers and do things that are groundbreaking and awesome. Um, But I think proportionally men will always be ahead. Uh, You know, you might have the few, you might have a few like rare prodigies out there like Ashima, who's, who's really like, you know, showing that, that women can climb about as hard as some of the strongest men. But but proportionally, there's a lot more men doing that than there are women. And I think that's mm. just how it's going to be. And, you know, I'm okay with that.
2: <laughs> you know, I, I think what impresses me the most is the number of climbing disciplines you practice and have gotten quite good at. By most people's standards, you're pretty badass. You're an ice climber oh, winning thank the already Ice Festival in 2012. You're an alpinist reaching yeah. the summit of Everest. You climb nearly a dozen five fourteen sport routes. You climb trad on big walls and Golden Gate in six days. How would you compare these disciplines?
1: You know, like, and I mean, thank you for saying that. Um, I certainly, you know, I love diversifying and stuff. I certainly think that it's um, it's taken away from me being like really specialized and really good in one specific discipline. And I'm really comfortable with that. I'm totally okay with that. I I look up to a lot of um, people who who choose to specify and become amazing in that specific discipline. <clears throat> um, but for me, it's just like the way that I. It's it's what gives me the most out of climbing. I actually saw this quote the other day, and it was, diversity is like salt. It brings out the best in everything. And I think that that totally fits with what I'm trying to do. Like it just it's just made climbing for me so much more of this rich and satisfying experience and it's really like just become an entire all-encompassing part of my life and not even just climbing now I'm like incorporating skiing into it Mm -hmm. and I just I love that I feel like I'm becoming such a better more well-rounded athlete and I want to be the athlete who can go on any trip and maybe I'm not going to be the strongest and maybe I'm not going to be the best but I can handle myself and I can be a good partner and I can be competent. This one is the hardest to master. <clears throat> um, I'm terrible. I mean, I'm not terrible, but my weakness is bouldering, I think. Um, I find it to be super frustrating and difficult to just, like, be falling on the same moves over and over again. And it's all. I also think it takes a very specific style of training, and you have to be really dedicated to training for power. And so that is really hard for me. Bouldering has always been a weakness of mine, and now that I've diversified even more in my climbing, I find it to be even more difficult. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would actually say bouldering, like just straight up going bouldering in the gym is really humbling for me every time. And I force myself to do it. And it's so, I I love it in a way. Like I love it when I do a move that I didn't think I could do. Um, but it's, it's so hard for me. Um, so I think, I think bouldering is definitely my weakness. And then, you know, on the opposite end of the spectrum, the whole risk thing we spoke about earlier with climbing in the mountains, you know, it's just, there's so many objective hazards to think about. And you, you, know, there's this constant discussion and internal dialogue of whether or not something is worth it that I'm always having with myself. And hmm. I think that that will be this lifelong struggle. And, you know, I, I think it, the only thing I'm really in control of is the decision that I make that enables me to go home or not. And that's the only decision that really matters in the end. Um, and,
2: and to make it, so, you
1: know, just exactly. So just sort of trying to weigh that decision against my desire to keep experiencing the mountains in this really fulfilling way, I think is, hmm. is a big challenge as well.
2: Which do you enjoy the most?
1: Um, you know, I, I just like, I really enjoy having big full days out. It doesn't even matter what discipline it is. Like if I went, if I go sport climbing and I spend all day projecting a route and I try super hard at my maximum and I am totally wasted at the end of the day, I'm so happy. If I go out and I go on a big long ski tour and, you know, like I spend lots of time like skinning and, and boot packing and, and skiing and at the end of the day I'm totally wrecked, then I'm totally satisfied. If I go out and do a big wall that's even, you know, that's easy, but I spend all day, you know, it's just like, I love getting crushed in the mountains. That's, like, my favorite thing is, like, ending the day knowing that I just totally destroyed myself over a really long period of time. So I think it's that more, like, endurance thing. It's just, the, mm-hmm. you know, like, going out there and just doing something all day long and being engaged in it is is my favorite. That's thing. wild. How old are you now? <laughs> I'm 29.
2: 29. Where do you see yourself in 10 years?
1: Hopefully uh, living in Tahoe, um, skiing and climbing a lot. I would love to be doing more speaking engagements. I really am passionate about speaking and presenting. I would love to continue to pursue my career as a professional athlete in some capacity or more of like someone who's able to market themselves in that way for a long period of time, similar to how Conrad anchor has. Um, Mm -hmm. and I would love in 10 years, I'd love to have at least started a family at some point. Um, yeah, because that'd be, I, that'd be cool. I, you know, I think for me, um, my whole life, and my whole career has been about like my achievements and my goals and my things. And I think at some point for me as a, a person, it would feel good to be able to have something else to to give to, you know what I mean? Like some mm-hmm. someone to give my time to, someone to pass that on to um, and have it be less all about me all the time. Um, I I just feel like that's important in life. I don't know.
2: (laughs) It is important. And that's very cool. They're going to be one lucky kid to have you as a mom.
1: (laughs) Well, thank you. Yeah, I hope so.
2: (laughs) Yeah. Uh, What words of inspiration you like to share with the tribal black community, especially to the women that want to climb
1: like you? Um, so I've always liked this one quote well there's a salt one that I liked about diversity but then the other one is do not listen to unwanted advice write your own story I like that one write
2: your own story I like that
1: yeah write your own story
2: do you feel like you've written your own
1: I'm in the process of (laughs) doing that that's (laughs) for sure I hope so
2: that's awesome well Emily I can't thank you enough You have truly been an inspiration to all of our listeners out there. Thank you so much. And um, we'll talk again soon.
1: All right. Sounds good. Bye-bye, Emily. All right. Bye.
0: Well, that was super inspiring. I really like that quote about diversity. Diversity is like salt. It brings out the best of everything. And here's a takeaway for you. Write your own story. Don't let anyone give you unwanted advice. Believe that you have the ability to achieve your dreams and give it all you got, just like Emily. Until next week, my friends, this is Dan Goodman with Black TV, your entertainment source for extreme sports.